Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the podcast Discover North Korea. I am Zoe from Zoe Discovers and today we are going to be talking about things that we miss about visiting North Korea and I say we straight from the get-go because I have some pretty exciting guests that are going to join me very very shortly. Um, I mean they are the North Korea tourism experts, the people who've been working in the industry the longest and the people who know the industry the best. I'll introduce them properly in a minute, but firstly, I want to say thank you for coming back to the podcast. We are now on episode five, which has been a really exciting journey. I've really loved getting into this podcast series. If you have any questions, if you have anything you want me to cover, um, anything at all you want to just say to me, um, I do focus every single episode on a question from you guys or on a theme that you guys have been bringing up. So do let me know. You can message me on Instagram at ZoeDiscoversNK or alternatively, you can email me on ZoeDiscovers at gmail.com. So now that bit's over and just before we get talking to our guests who are waiting very patiently, I want to just give a little bit of an introduction and cover what on earth is going on with North Korea tourism at the moment um, and what has been going on indeed over the past three years. So for this we have to look back all the way to January 2020 when I think everyone's lives changed a little bit. The word COVID-19 came into our vocabulary for the first time and um, a lot of lives were turned upside down. In January 2020, however, it didn't seem like it would be such a big deal. I don't know if anyone remembers that far back. We all thought it might blow over in a couple of weeks and that is certainly how I felt when I was actually outside of China and, you know, we kind of got the news um, in the company, in Koryo Tours, we kind of got the news that... North Korea would be closing its borders. Actually, I remember exactly what I was doing and exactly where I was when I heard this news because it had a massive impact on me. But I didn't know how much of an impact it would have on me. At that time, actually, my next tour was going to be in April for the Pyongyang Marathon. A great tour, by the way. If anyone, you know, if you've got any runners out there, I will be seeing you at the next marathon in Pyongyang that we can join in. 
So I didn't have any tours planned until April 2020 and I thought, you know what, I've just come back from North Korea. I just came back in like mid-January 2020. I was actually, I think, I'm pretty sure I can say I was like the last Western tourist to be in North Korea. And until January 2020, I had been going very, very frequently. Like I had been going at least once a month, sometimes twice a month and sometimes for a very, very long time. Like in August and September time, I was there for a month. So I had been spending a lot of time in North Korea over the past six months especially. And summertime and then going into winter is still a very, very busy period. But then from January to April, it's more chilled in terms of North Korea tourism. There isn't a lot going on. So when I first heard this information that North Korea was closing, obviously I was, you know, I was uh, shocked and really sad and you know, uh, my job was on hold, but then also you have to worry about the, the North Koreans in the country, the North Koreans that, you know, you work with. Um, I was sad that I wouldn't be able to, to speak to them or see them for, you know, for a while. And, you know, also back in January 2020, we had no idea what was going on. It was kind of a scary time for everyone, right? And notably, no less of a scary time, it should be noted, for those North Koreans who have been stuck abroad and unable to get home for the past three years, as we will be discussing later in this podcast. We all thought it would be over very, very soon. Three years later, I am making a podcast um, in, with the episode entitled, you know, Things We Miss About Visiting North Korea, because crazily enough, I haven't been back for over three years now. And that is something I actually never thought that I would be saying you know, since I started working in North Korea tourism. Um, so if you haven't listened to episode two, where I kind of give an introduction and some information in how I got into the tourism industry, do have a listen back to that if you are interested. But um, I've been working in North Korea tourism since 2018, and I've been constantly going back and forth around once a month for over a couple of years. And I had totally taken going to North Korea for granted, which is something bizarre because I don't think many people... <laughs> can say that sentence. But for me, it was it, it kind of became the norm. And actually, when I was leaving North Korea in January 2020, I had like a bit of a moment, you know, <laughs> with one of the guides. Um, we're good friends. And like I said before, I had been coming in and out of North Korea a lot. And so I, it wasn't just me that was getting used to going in and out of North Korea. It was actually the guides getting used to seeing me a lot as well, I guess. Um, and when you spend a long time in North Korea, or also, you know, even if you're just spending a few days, you are constantly around your guides all the time. If you're not literally on tour showing people around, then you are talking with the guides trying to plan the next thing, or you are trying to solve some problem, or also you're just kind of chilling out with the guides over a beer over a long day, you know? So you spend, it's, it's intense. The time that you spend together is intense. So you do kind of start to get close with some of them. And I do definitely call some of them my friends. And when I was leaving in January 2020, um, you know, saying goodbye at the airport had just become so normal. But this time it was a little bit different because, you know, the guide asked me like, oh, hey, you know, when are you coming back? And I, I said to them, oh, uh, probably April for the marathon. And they looked at me and they were like, oh, April. Wow, it's, uh, it's so long away. And I, and I was like, oh, yeah, gosh, I, sp I suppose it is. And uh, I, man, I look back at that conversation and it's been three years now. And I have no idea if I will ever see that guide again. You know, I don't know if, um, if they're still working at the company or maybe they've moved on. You know, I, don't, I have no idea what they're up to. For those who want to like a little bit of context, actually, North Korea has no internet. It has an intranet. And I, I do cover North Korean internet in a different episode. But what I'm saying is, is there is no possibility for me to just, you know, pick up my phone to, to send them a WhatsApp, to send them a message, to stalk them on Instagram and stuff. There is no possibility for me to do that with the North Korean guides. The only time that I get to speak with them, to get to catch up with them is when I am in North Korea. And that's fine. And you get used to that when you're seeing them kind of regularly. But now it's been a very, very long time. Um, and of course, we can, as a company at Choreo Tours, or, you know, companies that work with North Korea, 
there are pathways to talk to North Korea, okay? Um, you can call them, you can email them, stuff like that, but that is strictly for business. I can't pick up the phone and be like, hey, Kim, how's it going? But again, with North Korea being closed off, me not being able to contact the North Koreans is much less of an issue than North Koreans who are stuck abroad and have been since the start of COVID, unable to contact their friends and their relatives. The North Koreans, even though they mean they mean a lot to me, I genuinely you know care about them, to suddenly have lost complete contact with them these past few years has been something that I never expected to experience. But that's just me, actually. Um, you know, North Korea closing is no new thing uh, for our guests, who are longtime North Korea experts and have a lot more experience than me. <laughs> so, without further ado, let me introduce you to this week's guests. These guests um, are pretty big names in the North Korea industry. You might have heard them before, but I hope with this kind of informal chat to be able to provide everyone, um, all the listeners, all of you guys out there, with an opportunity to um, hear some different points of view from them, okay? Some, like, different things that, you know, your normal interview might not cover. We talk about our experiences and get pretty deep and personal reminiscing about our time working in the DPRK. And as a side note, to cover the terminology you might not be familiar with, the DPRK stands for Democratic People's Republic of Korea and is the official way to refer to North Korea. We also chat about KITC, Korea International Travel Company, our partners in North Korea. First up, we have Nick Bonner. He is the Korea Tours founder and CEO, a complete mastermind and very well known within the North Korea tourism and expert world. He has been working in North Korea tourism since before I was even born, and I'm not sure for how much longer I can say I'm under 30 and has also co-produced documentaries, films, and written books on the DPRK. Next up, we have Simon, no less of a mastermind and the general manager of Choreo Tours. Again, another big name in the world of North Korea. He's been to North Korea more than any other Westerner ever, probably. He's been there like a hundred times in the past 10 years or so, and when he's not tour leading in North Korea, he's dealing with the behind the scenes, less fun and almost certainly more stressful side of things, working with our North Korean partners and attempting to find new cool places to visit, new cool things to do in North Korea, uh, you know, for example, cycle tours and train journeys across the whole of the country. And lastly, but certainly not least, we have Greg, the Choreo Tours North Korea tour manager and a good colleague and friend of mine who also appears in a few of my YouTube videos. You may have seen him around. His expertise lie in the Korean language and he's also a big aviation fanatic. His meticulous planning and close attention to detail means that everyone's tours run smoothly, well, as smooth as possible in the DPRK. And I am very excited to have these three North Korean experts here with me on the show today to chat all about North Korea, our experiences in North Korea. Let's give it a go. So just to introduce yourselves quickly, guys, can I have your names and your favorite Korean food? Yeah, I'm Simon Cockrell, and my favorite Korean food would be Pyongyang-style cold noodles. A popular choice. Nick? <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm trying to think. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, that's really unfortunate. I, I am, I, I'm Nick Bonner, and uh, my favorite food would be uh, Pyongyang cold noodles, um, but actually it might be just a bit of myonte, uh, sort of the dried fish with a, over a beer, that that. That nice. is uh, that sort of brings back memories. Same. Two people can have the same favorite foods, you know. Yeah, I think okay. it just makes oh, you a man of the people. Well, I'll say it again. Yeah, yeah. What you like okay, I'll do it again. Choice. Okay, I'll do it again. Here we go. I'm Nick Bonner, and my favorite food is a little bit of a snack, just a bit of dried fish, a bit of mionte with a beer, uh, speaking with friends. Beautiful. And Greg, how about you? Introduce yourself and your favorite food. Yeah, I'm Greg Watsi, and since I'm not allowed to have my favorite food, uh, my second favorite food is the fish course from Wonsan Seafood Restaurant. Ooh, nice one. You're getting me hungry now. Good to have everyone together. It's been um, it's been a long time since we were all in the same virtual room, and even longer since we were all in the same room. Well, not that long ago, actually, because we met in March. 
That's true. <laughs> yeah, we saw each other in March, Greg. And um, Nick and Simon, what have you guys been up to? Where are you in the world at the moment? Uh, I'm in the UK at the moment, um, staying with family and catching up with, you know, friends and family and things that are going on here, plus the lovely weather. It's nice and rainy today. Sam had a baby in February for those who've missed out. So he's January. Uh, January. Sorry. Yeah. January. It should have been Feb. It was a bit earlier. Yeah. So Cyrus has arrived on the Choreo squad and we met up with Cyrus and uh, his mother and father in uh, Paris oh. about yes. a couple of three weeks ago. We're looking at setting up a space in uh, Italy for a, an art collection that we've, the sort of Choreo has sort of picked up over the last 30 years. So we've got quite a big project here. We thought we'd have a, a base where, if, if you think of it, anything to do with North Korea, if you want something permanent, it's a very difficult place to find. I mean, the States, obviously not, because uh, the North don't like that. Uh, China, not perhaps as stable as you'd like to think. South Korea, certainly not for the North. So uh, we were looking at Italy. So uh, I think if you come back here in a year or two years' time, we should have an art space over there, as well as, of course, uh, sort of flagship base in Beijing and Hong Kong. Is it going to be also like an archive of everything North Korean you collected? Yeah, that's years. the plan. Exactly. It's going to be a, we've got over, I think, sort of 2,000 pieces of fine art, plus another sort of similar amount of various bits and pieces, whether it be postcards collected sort of during the sort of Japanese occupation period, right up through to uh, sort of sweet papers and wrapping papers, etc. from uh, about three years ago. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> have to make a trip over to Italy all the way from Taiwan. I know, it's going to be so stressful there in Tuscany with all that wine and food. I, I oh. do. <laughs> you know, oh. Anyone Don't. who goes there for two weeks, hell on earth. <laughs> I mean, North Korea has been closed for the past three years. We're going to kind of get to that soon. But what else has been kind of going on in terms of projects and stuff like that at the moment? Yeah, we actually quite a few projects. We had in uh, Vienna at the Design uh, Austria, uh, we had a big liner cut exhibition. Um, and this was in sort of went from, I think, April to September. Oh, sorry, July to September. So that was their most successful exhibition they've ever had. That was using our Lino Cut collection and also uh, sort of displaying it in rather unusual circles. I think we've put that up on the Choreo Studio website if anyone's interested. And we're very happy to do these uh, shows at small galleries and what have you because the art is transportable. But this, this was a big, big show very grand grand uh, affair but we also got a photographic project the north koreans uh, uh basically one of our, our our film producers realized that we were in trouble uh in 2020 21 and thought right well you know what can we do to help them this is the most unusual project i think that that we've ever come across and they suddenly said We've, we know you want to make a film calendar and you can sell this and, you know, you can you can survive. We thought, well, you've got to sell a lot of film calendars. But the photographs came through of their film stars, including Flower Girl, uh, Mrs. Hong, the most probably most famous actress in North Korea. Uh, and uh, amongst that, uh, sort of another sort of 20 photo photographers, they re-sort re of did their whole sets of their favourite films they got bored in the cast, they brought in the directors, they filmed it, but without any film in the camera, as if it was a real sort of film set going on. And uh, the photographer sort of took these images, and this is the first time, uh, I suppose, an, an art photographer has ever been used, you know, been sort of uh, commissioned in North Korea. And they sent the work by uh, digital, by file, file FTP, FT, uh, file transfer protocol, to us. Great big 100 mega sort of files, of photos of the most incredible scenes. So we're looking at exhibiting that. It's a very, very cool project. So just to, to let people know if you didn't realize, so that project was done entirely inside North Korea. And then as Nick just mentioned, they then sent the photos back out to us, right? And I think that's the own, one of the only projects, if not the only project that's kind of been going on inside North Korea since COVID, right? Yeah, but that, that then got us thinking to do a couple more. So there's a, a couple of other projects, a film project that uh, we'll let you know about in the future. So yeah, we're, still, we, we're, in, uh, we're in regular contact. I mean, you know, all of us know how our both our sort of uh, our, our colleagues at the travel company are. We're in contact with them 
uh, every week or every two weeks, definitely. And uh, at the same time, I'm keeping contact with the film people and, and various artists over there. So, cool. it, yeah, it's restricted, but there's always there's a little gap somewhere. Yeah, right. And if, if anyone wants to um, read up on more of Choreo Studios projects, um, you can hit the website, which is choreostudio.com. I'll put it in the um, notes for this podcast and also hit them up on Instagram as well at Choreo Studio and Facebook. Greg, anything that's been going on with you at the moment? Well, this year uh, we had a Korea tour, not a North Korea, but a South Korea tour mm. uh, in cooperations with one of the biggest websites about uh, North Korea. So basically last year, uh, that person reached out to Simon uh, talking about his experience uh, traveling in South Korea during the pandemic because his soul base and obviously wasn't able to leave the country. So he decided to visit uh, places along the border with the North. And then he realized the potential in it and how much more you can learn about North Korea than he believed. So they'd had a chat with Simon and I happened to be in South Korea uh, studying or trying to study the Korean language at <laughs> SNU, so National University. And we met up and we put together this amazing tour, which I can say that uh, as a new tour, it be, it's been one of the most successful tours I ever had. Um, um, also, uh, in terms of numbers, uh, for a very new, very specific tour, uh, it was a quite big group, uh, almost as big as a group tour would have been for a national holiday in North Korea. And we had a very good pool of people um, from embassy workers to uh, photojournalists and just uh, laymen who traveled with us before. And we traveled from the West Coast to the East Coast, or actually the other way around, visiting <laughs> various observations, observation decks. Actually, uh, we had uh, visited so many observation decks that uh, when uh, the our local guide told the bus driver, okay, that now we're going to this observatory. And they're like, what? How many more? <laughs> and counted, we, we visited around 10 observatories uh, along wow. the world. But they, they, they all have their uh, own character and different character. Uh, and also, uh, I think we found uh, the, the concrete wall in South Korea. Oh, can you give uh, a bit of context for this um, famous concrete wall that doesn't exist? Yes, sure. Or it does, or it, yeah, it doesn't exist as the North Koreans put it, but there is definitely something there. So basically, uh, in the north, uh, you can go uh, to a place called the Concrete Wall. It's like around like a 40 minutes drive from Kaesong all the way into the DMZ area. Uh, and actually, it's one of my most favorite drives because it really shows you rural North Korea. And it's one of the, the um, poorest parts of the country. But anyways, uh, so you drive up to the uh, observation post where a military officer and a conscript is waiting for you with all the binoculars. First, they show you on a map what this concrete map, the concrete uh, wall is, uh, and how the Pak uh, administration in the 1970s wanted to, you know, solidify uh, division by building this uh, concrete wall, which is basically uh, the uh, tank trap on the southern side. Uh, but the southern side has always denied the existence of it. And then we went to um, uh, the White Horse Memorial uh, near Chorwon in the south, which is around the mid middle of the peninsula along the DMZ. And that's also one of the, uh, the bloodiest uh, uh, battles took place uh, during the Korean War. And one of the tourists who has already been to the DPRK with us, and we, we, were, we were constantly talking about this concrete wall because it's an experience of everyone who has been to the north and the south and you know the two narratives and then he just suddenly just pointed me towards the mountain that like isn't that the concrete wall <laughs> and then we took a photo and it does indeed look like the concrete oh. wall it's not where the north claims it is however the north claims that it's from coast to coast ceaselessly um, but there is something which definitely looks like the concrete wall, even though it's not the one we are looking at from the northern part. 
And so you were in South Korea doing this tour, but it wasn't a normal South Korea tour, right? So it was a basically a North Korean themed South Korea tour. Is that how we can call it? Or Yes, indeed. So basically, apart from one day in Seoul, uh, where we visited some of the more touristy sites like uh, the palace, the war memorial, which is again North Korea connected, or the Museum of Contemporary History, which is again a bit connected to the whole North-South Korea thing, given that the dictatorships in South Korea during the from 1950s until the early 1990s were like very anti-communist and they identified by themselves by you know being uh, the democracy and uh, you know preventing the spread of communism. Uh, it was a North Korea focused tour, yes. Uh, we also had a couple of experts on tour. Uh, I think I can mention the name of Professor Lankov, who is, I believe, the best known and probably the best North Korea scholar of our time. So uh, just wait until I major. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll have a new one. <laughs> and it was so successful that it's going to happen again? That is the plan, yes. Excellent. Okay. So despite the fact that North Korea borders are closed, we're still keeping very busy with international tours. I think Simon has also done some international tours or will be doing some international tours? Well, that's the intention, yeah. So some of the other countries that we run tours to are open and some are maybe soon to open. So we've been planning some Central Asia tours uh, for next year. Bless you. Um, and uh, we're highly confident that tours to Kazakhstan will go ahead. And we're somewhat confident the tours to Turkmenistan will go ahead. So um, there are some positive signs within Turkmenistan that it will open again next year. But exactly when is hard to say. So um, it's not 100% confirmed or even 50% confirmed just yet. But that's a, very much a work in progress. But Kazakhstan is open. It is possible to visit there. And um, so we're expecting our tours there to go ahead in 2023. We also had some Mongolia tour this year, right? Yeah, we did. We also had some Mongolia tours from Ridge. Did <clears> we do one or two? I can't remember. I think there were two Mongolia tours mm -hmm. and also Rich has been working on the tours in Tajikistan as well because it is also possible to go there. But, you know, when countries reopen, some places, not everything opens at once. Some areas remain off limits or some specific sites remain off limits. And also, in the couple of years um, gap between the last tour and the more recent tours, sometimes local policies have changed, sometimes uh, areas have come under different administration. So it's not that we have to start from scratch, but that there, um, there are cases where things have to be sort of rethought, redesigned and so on. Okay, so North Korea might be closed, but we are still doing and keeping very busy doing lots of international tours. If people are interested in those, they can hit up um, the website, choreogroup.com, and also check out our Instagram and keep an eye out for things that are opening up as the world is slowly opening up. One place that is still quite closed at the moment, though, unfortunately, is North Korea. That is something that everyone knows and um, is something that um, is the first time I've experienced um, a North Korea closure um, and for so long as well. But it's not the first time that North Korea has closed, right? I think, um, Simon and Nick, you've both experienced a North Korea closure. Yeah, uh, two of them, uh, two previous ones, actually, in my case. So back in 2003, SARS um uh, led to the closure of the border for several months. That was pretty unprecedented. I mean, a lot of uh, potential visitors are concerned that some political crisis or another or um, some kind of weapons test or any of the other drama that North Korea is known for would cause an arbitrary closure of the border and the prevention of their visit. But actually, it's only pandemics that seem to do this. So in 2003, SARS led to the border closing for several months. And back in 2014-15, Ebola was the culprit. I mean, SARS, this was entirely legitimate because it was um, quite a thing in Beijing. It led to the empty streets that everyone in the world is more familiar with now, but which at the time was quite unique. And the Chinese government decided not to be as straightforward uh, and as blunt with the truth uh, if I can politely say that, as they could possibly have been um, by making claims which were completely baseless about no cases. And then all of a sudden, there were loads of cases and a lot of neighbouring countries had a little panic and that, that caused North Korea to close its border. 
Ebola is a slightly more complicated one because nobody in Asia had Ebola. So obviously there was very little chance of that disease making its way into North Korea. So at the time, there was a lot of speculation that it may be for other reasons. After all, they don't close their border to prevent the spread of anything else, tuberculosis or the flu or AIDS or anything like that. So why Ebola? So who knows? It could have been a huge overreaction to what was a, a quite major outbreak halfway around the world at the time. Or it could have been a handy piece of... Uh, you know, taking advantage of a situation uh, for another reason. But when it comes to um, COVID, they jumped in pretty quick. It was in January of 2020 that they decided to close ahead of it, almost anyone else reacting. I mean, I'm not going to claim that they were particularly responsible or, uh, you know, to be admired, but leaders of a lot of the rest of the world were at the time saying it's a cold and it's it'll be fine this you know this will be passed drink some bleach that kind of thing and the north koreans were like no -uh, this is this is really awful and they they closed the door tightly yes indeed very tightly it's not just tourism that stopped but also um north koreans stuck abroad they've also not been able to get home for the past three years so yeah i i, I would add also that if you are from North Korea and you were overseas at that time in January 2020, not only can you not go home, but your level of communication with your family and friends at home in most cases will be almost non-existent. So Zoe, as you know, you were, you were stuck in Tonga for 18 months, but you could at least, you know, speak to your family, yeah. right? I was in China somewhat stuck and, you know, somewhat voluntarily for, for most of it. But, you know, I could call whenever I wanted, video chat, send things, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not great, but it's it's not the end of the world. But, you know, if you're a North Korean, especially if you are, you know, uh, uh, not one of the more elite North Koreans overseas, then you probably haven't spoken to a member of your family in nearly three years. You probably haven't seen a picture of them or anything like that. So this is a, a, a lockdown which affects North Koreans far more than it affects tourists who are oh, no they have to choose yeah. from uh, one of the other 200 countries to go to you know it, this is something really really life-changing and quite traumatic I believe for for thousands and thousands of North Koreans who happen to be overseas some of them were only would have been short term at the time so so um you know that's something really terrible for them I have one friend who uh his parents, uh, uh, well, basically the parents of the friends, they headed off to Pyongyang for a week uh, and said, look, you know, there's kimchi there and there's some, you know, bulgogi and various bits and pieces in the fridge for you to cook up. We'll be back in a week. And uh, this 15-year-old kid has been <laughs> basically without parents for three years. But what's lovely is the sort of the, the Korean community, the North Korean community where he lives, sort of taken him on board you know helped him with school and everything else like that so it's quite nice to know that you know the humanity there that sort of goes but it is absolutely as someone points out an absolute traumatic uh, event particularly if you're north korean very important points that you guys brought up so thank you very much for that i don't know where to go from that i'm i'm very like so got so deep so quickly so in terms of our personal experiences in in north korea i kind of wanted to chat about Things that we miss about North Korea and things that um, we miss about working there and going there often. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
person and, you know, zipping in and out all the time and chatting with the guides and stuff like that. I was wondering if I could start off with the question of if you could be sat anywhere in North Korea right now, under any circumstance, where um, and when would it be? Like, what what are you doing? So, for example, me, I'm sat in the young actor, the old one before the renovation. I'm in the bar. Um, after a successful day and happy customers and um, we're having a meeting but now we've stopped the meeting because now we're just drinking and having fun with the guides and just kind of chilling and we're having weird conversations at the young acto bar drinking the weird cocktails and stuff <laughs> maybe some telpi as well where are we for you guys no, oh, I, I think I'd probably be in the same place sat with you actually because I was going to say something very similar <clears throat> or I was going to say I, I'd be a at the KITC headquarters, trying to catch up with everyone all at once. And But I think, um, yeah, I, I'd love to say somewhere, you know, really more obscure. Oh, I'd be on the top of the Ryugyong Hotel or I'd be <laughs> in a remote part of Jagang province or something. But I think realistically, um, especially if we're imagining uh, something remotely possible, I think first you'd have to pick Pyongyang. And I think the focus for all of us would be catching up with people there that we know, rather than like doing something specific. So it'd be doing something fairly, oh, excuse me, it would be doing something fairly straightforward, like having a beer in the Yangakdo. And naturally, whenever I have a beer in the Yangakdo, I normally have to send it back once because the amount of <laughs> foam they put on it, I find to be unacceptable. More than 10% gets sent back. So there's a top tip for tourists. You can send it back and get it topped up, hopefully with more beer. That's just um, a sign of the laugh towards you. That's, you know... The bigger the head, the bigger the I laugh. They do it deliberately. They do it deliberately, yeah. They see you coming. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, yeah, the most, most important um, thing would be to catch up with some people, find out what's going on with them, because... You know, a lot of the people we know will have got married, had kids, experienced a lot of joy and experienced a lot of tragedy over the last few years. So it'd be nice to hear about that and share our own with them as well. One uh, sort of rather sort of sad thing for me is since we filmed uh, the game of their lives in 2002 on the North Korean football team in 1966, we used to meet up uh, sort of almost once a year uh, and then you know slowly you know with the team some members became senile some died traffic accidents all sorts of stuff and and so this will probably be you know the last time I was around us Pat Duick and a, and a few others but they were you know dying and uh, this this hiatus this sort of three-year gap is 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 really very very dramatic I mean not only does it mean that so that, that's sad on a personal note with those friends because, you know, we were very close. We were very lucky to get to know this team because, of course, not only did we film them uh, you know, and the story of their uh, I I incredible uh, match against Italy, the greatest shock in World Cup history, but um, we also took them back. You know, we got, again, one of the kind of rather soju, uh, again, as some points out, as you point out, alcohol, is, is you know part of the Korean way of life and that's where you sort of solidify your friendships and we ended up taking the team over after a picnic in uh, Morambam Park we agreed to take the team back to back to Middlesbrough with the scene of their triumph in 1966 and that that really did blossom into a great relationship but now you know time has moved on and also just another thing is that a couple of friends who 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 on the travel side, they're now sort of gone over 65 years old and, and that's retirement. So once you're in retirement, it's very difficult then to get to see your foreign friends. So it'll be interesting to see who we can meet, what the situation will be uh, when eventually we do get back. And I have the same fear as everyone else that uh, because some of my closest friends were uh, females in their mid-20s, which is near uh, marriage age and most of the time after marriage uh, they uh, leave KITC and become uh, housewives although it did happen with some guides female guides who got married left KITC and just returned before the pandemic actually uh, even some people started their business and then uh, came back to KITC so uh, I didn't give up the hope that uh, 
I will be able to meet with some of my friends who are most probably not members of the KITC anymore. But also, you know, uh, uh, there are uh, uh, coincidences when you happen to be at the de department store when they are going for shopping. So maybe I want to find myself in a combo department store food court, slurping mm. their uh, cold noodle there and cheap beer and running into my friends who are yeah. not members of KITC anymore. Or, or if it's a, a warmer day, then the, you know, the, the food court just, uh, just outside the um, yeah. uh, department store with the meat skewers and stuff. That's a wonderful thing that Greg brings up because again, you know, we, we know, we all know what uh, the system of North Korea is like, but this idea that a coincidental run into a friend can happen, it's great. And it's slightly more coincidence. So it just shows that, you know, you build up relationships and trust. Um, and then, you know, magical things can happen. Definitely. Yeah. And very, very good point to bring up. Um, it is um, it is bizarre, like when you're going in and out of North Korea so many times that you can run into people accidentally or kind of not accidentally um, when you're out and about. But man, when when Greg mentioned the Quambok, I it really makes me want to eat um Ah, Greg, you know what I mean. The um, the imjobab. Imjobab. Yeah. <laughs> this um spicy like food that you only get in North Korea, um, like a rice thing wrapped in tofu, very spicy, very good. It's more like um, tofu skin. I think the, the story behind. Sorry to interrupt. The story behind it that it was developed during the Ordo's March. Yeah. So the difficult years in the nineteen nineties when they did, had nothing much to eat. Yeah. And uh, the the bean paste, so there is this big jar for the bean paste, and they made this tofu skin from the remaining uh, bean paste uh, from that jar, uh, and then somehow miraculously been able to fill up with uh, rice and then put some kochujang, uh, 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 red pepper paste on it, on top. And yeah, so it was something they ate during the the Great Famine, but then it became a very popular street food. Uh, actually, uh, it's so popular uh, that uh, now they uh, have a model of it on, on show in one of the observatories in South Korea. Oh, wow. And they talk about life in North Korea and North Korean foods, and there is uh, uh, like a model kind of thing. Wow. Okay. Yeah, but it's it's still as far as I'm aware. I mean, Greg, you've um, spent some time in South Korea, but I presume it is not available in the South and only in the North, right? Oh, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So we've been chatting a lot about um, you know, people in North Korea and getting kind of on a personal level. So. One thing that I've been really loving recently doing on social media, I've been doing a lot of like posting um, conversations that I've had with like North Koreans. Um, we all know <laughs> that sometimes the North Koreans can be quite naive with some of the things that they say, or sometimes, you know, they just have a different culture. So some of the things that they say can come across as, you know, ridiculously funny or just simply ridiculous. So I'm wondering, maybe you guys could give an example of one conversation that sticks out, I know for Nick and Simon, it's probably quite difficult with, you know, literally over 10 years of working there. I, I um, remember one. Well, there's a lot, of course. And there, some things are like quite funny and some things are a bit tragic. They show a real disconnect from the world. And some things are sort of quite amusing, but it's touching that you would be asked uh, the uh, things. Right. Yes. But one that really sticks out for me was when we took the Middlesbrough women's football team to North Korea. So I think that was in 2010. Um, this was to mark the 10th anniversary of UK DPRK diplomatic relations. So we had the support of the British embassy. Uh, the reason we took Middlesbrough over was because that was the town where the uh, North Korean team was based in the 1966 World Cup. So there were connections already. And they were willing to do it as well. So we got the funding together. We took them over. They're, they're a fairly decent women's football team. But women's football is played at a genuinely elite level in North Korea. And so they played two matches against the top North Korean teams and were well beaten both times. But there were thousands of people in um, attendance and it was on TV and everything. So this was this was a really big deal. And we were 
you know, I think rightly proud of ourselves, patting ourselves on the back, that kind of thing, you know, lighting cigars and this kind of thing in celebration. And then this guy from the sports ministry came up to Nick and he said to him, this was quite good, Mr. Nick, but next time could you bring some real team like Manchester United? <laughs> and it just showed like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like the the, the cost differential and the, the idea, you know, he was serious as if like, oh, as if he thought that we, we somehow had the choice between, you know, Chelsea, Real Madrid and the Middlesbrough women's football team. And we said, you know what, Middlesbrough, that's much more meaningful and connected. <laughs> yeah, okay. It just showed like what the hell's wrong with this guy and and he wasn't just some random he was from the sports ministry so you know that that showed a lack of worldliness i could politely say indeed yeah that's a great story nick have you got one yeah I, I, well, there's, there's a couple uh i know i said to do one but my, my favorite was we, we, we were making this uh bbc radio series it's a total disaster because we were we we're meant to be heading into uh uh, by train. It was uh, by the first time in a long time that we were going into Sinaju. Uh, and in fact, it was the first time to go to Sinaju. Anyway, they wouldn't let, they, we drove into Sinaju by bus and they said, you know, you haven't got all the permissions. You have to go back. So, you know, with the radio, sort of the BBC radio person, I mean, we had all the permissions, uh, you know, watching me unfold this disaster because it wasn't just the, the radio lot, it was a whole tour group. So me trying to look cool, calm and collected. We eventually got it. We had to go back and then fly in. So we're a day late. Anyway, we arrived in and we were filming away. And the the guide was taking us up uh, in the Morambong Hill. And and she said to this, in a slightly sort of condescending way to our guide, said, you know, why why don't you wear, you know, you know what the difference in the West? What do you miss about the West? Or what do you think you should have in the West? And, and the question came out, why don't you wear jeans? And I thought, oh, God, here we go. And the guide turned around and just said, they're not fashionable anymore. That's such Ooh, a great answer because you know, jeans have never been allowed. But it was just such a one-up for the Koreans. And I, I, th I think the other one, the other one is just a saying that that during the arduous march, this horrendous time, and they were just coming through it. And so we're we're in the early two thousands. And uh, you know, I was listening to these this, these two guides sort of chat, and one burst out laughing. And the saying came out. It was basically because at that time the the women were could go out and go about their business selling sort of fruit for, you know, going out to the countryside, bringing in fruit, selling it in the city, earning money. Whereas the husbands were sort of stuck in, uh, you know, government jobs. And uh, the saying came out there, which was, which, which sort of humanizes everything again. And it was having a husband is like turning the light on in the day, bloody useless. So I love that. <laughs> That's my favorite sort of saying. Can be used anywhere at any time. Can I say that when that radio show that Nick mentioned, that was called The Great Leader, The Dear Leader and The Tour Leader. And I think that, as I recall, that was recorded in 2004 and broadcast in 2005. And um, in the end, they did manage to go into the country. But first they went in, were kicked back out again, came all the way back to Beijing and then went in again and came out again. So disastrous tour economically and logistically. And then when that was actually broadcast on Radio 4, you know, a big radio channel in the uk we thought like this is our exact audience this is going to be massive for us you know at the time the entire market for western tourists was a few hundred people you know we sit down in beijing to listen to it champagne chilled and that kind of thing <laughs> More and, third, and it was two episodes and the first episode was all about we're off to north korea we're crossing the border oh we've been stopped at the border city i was stuck in a hotel and now we're being sent back to china and then the episode ended, and I, I don't think we received an email for a week. No, it was, it was the worst advert ever. And then the it's second still available. Episode, yeah, yeah. The, the second episode was you know a huge success. We we just, we flew back into Pyongyang, and everything went exactly as it should, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and then of course tourism grew massively over the next two decades. But yeah, that was a real um, moment when we thought, oh whoops this, this isn't very yeah. good <laughs> excellent how about you greg have you got a memorable story i'm sure you have quite a few uh, not funny per se uh, it's a bit touching uh, yeah, again funny. one of our uh, closest colleagues uh, uh, i think we were hiking yeah we were hiking in uh, kungangsan the diamond mountains uh, and uh, our customers uh, started to talk about uh, what is our uh, uh, North Korean colleagues uh, wishes or what do they 
what's their uh, dream? And then one of the, the guys said that, you know, I want to be a tour leader just like Greg, uh, going overseas and show my people how other countries are. Um, and, nice. and, and, and actually it was coming from someone who is uh, uh, known to be more strict about the rules and known to be, um, how should I say, a bit more rigid when it comes to everything else. Uh, so it's someone you would never expect it to uh, <laughs> uh, dream about. I can I can think who it might have been. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the other one, uh, it happened again. It's a conversation uh, next to Kwangbok having uh, meat skewers and beer, uh, and uh, I'm quite infamous for my Pyongyang city walks among the tour guides, because you know it's too much responsibility for them, too much exercise. <laughs> but they do it for me. More too much exercise than, than <laughs> stay on the bus. Uh, but she had the chance to go overseas just recently. And she had a private tour uh, when we had this uh, chat uh, uh, over beer next to Kwambok. And she said, you know, Greg, now I understand why you like the walking tours. And now I took my uh, private tour customers on one of your uh, walking tours, what we did together before. Because when I was overseas, I realized that how important it is to, you know, to be free as a bird and just uh, wander along the streets. Um, I found it uh, uh, kind of touching and also it's okay. It's so this is why tourism is useful. And this is why we do have an impact on our uh, uh, colleagues. And maybe it would never happen if she didn't go overseas, but also uh, if she didn't work with me before doing these uh, city tours, she wouldn't have come up with the idea. That, okay, I want to show something different from the regular tours by taking my customer on a walking tour in Pyongyang. Mm. And then and there is that, yeah. and there's a funny story which didn't happen to me, but happened with one of my favorite guides. Um, so tour, it was back then when Americans still could visit Pyongyang. And he was like just, you know, being around the people at Pyongyang Airport and just walked up to a customer and, okay, so where are you from? Oh, I'm from the US. Ah, terrible country. And then he just walked off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes they can be very, um, very direct about things, let's say. Yeah, he was, he was also the one who, uh, when I was a tourist during my first tour, he said that, you know, I remember when I was in high school, and Hungary betrayed us because Hungary was the first uh, socialist country to start relations with the South. And I said, yeah, but, you know, I was just barely born. I was like a couple of months old. <laughs> Excellent. And my grandparents visited your country just after that. So I shouldn't I think, be responsible for I, that. I think what Greg sort of brings up uh, and what we all know is that it's with such a small pool of people going into yeah, okay, a, a rather large country, but the people that we have contact with uh, is relatively small, and that's where serendipity sort of comes in, and why I suppose that we're, we, you know, have now over 30 years seen the value of engagement, because we see it, how it's impacted individuals, how it's helped us make these films that we've made, how it's helped us with projects from all sorts of things, it's, it's this human contact, uh, but by meeting people, you create opportunities, and I suppose that, you know, there's a lot of wishy-washy you can say it's all sort of Hollywood sort of uh, sort of stuff that you're thinking you're helping the country but actually you know over this long long period that we'd be, we'd be running tours we have seen the benefits you know we're actually sort of proof of those benefits uh, in the projects that we've done and you can also see those on on the website we've got a pdf of them and, it, and for a small company I think it's quite remarkable what we've done not blowing our trumpet because it's the Korean colleagues that have made these these uh cultural exchange is possible. And you imagine, you know, with a, a sort of change in attitude, at least towards cultural engagement, what could actually happen in that country that informing people so that if change is possible, at least they're, you know, they, they are aware of what change represents. Definitely. That's a really great point. Thanks for that, Nick. And also just in terms of what Greg was saying as well, it reminds me 
of um, how I kind of view our jobs a lot of the time when we're kind of tour leading in North Korea. We don't do so much of the, you know, pointing and, hey, this is this museum, this is this museum. You know, we can do if we want, but we kind of leave that leave that for um, the North Korean guides who are the experts. But I see what we do as almost a kind of bridge between two vastly different cultures. You've got the North Korean culture and then you've got the you know, the outside culture, the culture that's not. And sometimes you need a bridge to kind of connect things. Like, for example, as Greg was saying, a lot of the people we take to North Korea, they really want to walk everywhere, you know? Um, they want to, um, yeah. And for the North Koreans, they're very confused by this because in their opinion, they have offered this amazing service of this very luxury bus that's very nice. You know, in the winter, it's got um, heating and in the summer, it's got air conditioning and it takes you everywhere from A to B and it's very fast. You know, it's it's a very big convenient thing so for the North Koreans it's very confusing um why would people want to walk somewhere so I think um for us who kind of understand wanting to walk somewhere and then trying to kind of bridge this bridge this gap and explain to the to um the tourists a lot of the time okay this is what's happening this is why the Koreans don't really understand why you're upset that you can't walk somewhere and they are also might be upset that you are you know dissing their bus not enjoying you know your bus journey my um, favorite, favorite one on that one can I just say Simon's one on the uh the, the, the guy who went to maybe Sam you tell it the the guy who went to the model farm and said you know, you know, this this farm isn't like a normal farm. And then you you said, "What well, you're visiting a model bloody farm? What do you think?" It's sort of trying to sort of yeah. Yeah, I think there is a tendency for people to look for um, some kind of artifice and uh, fakery everywhere they look. And you know, it's no secret that the tours and the tourism experience in North Korea is largely predetermined, right? That. Um, there's only certain places you can visit. There's more places you can't visit than places you can visit. And that, you know, they show you the best in inverted commas. But, you know, there's there's not just one tour passed down from above that everyone has to do. Um, but yeah, if you want to visit a, uh, a farm, it's going to be one of the farms that you're allowed to visit. And they tend to be the better ones, even though a lot of them are not actually particularly that good. And so, yeah, sometimes people do show up and say, well, this can't be representative of the normal agricultural situation in the country because it's well known that they underproduce food, whereas this place looks perfectly good. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, because you're only allowed to visit the better farms. They're literally model farms. There's no there's no secret about this. And a model farm doesn't mean that it's a fake farm. It just means that it's one which is held up as a exemplar to to others, that kind of model. And, and this is absolutely open. But yeah, people want to say, well, you know, the guides or the government minders or whatever they want to call them, they, you know, they tried to make us think that the food situation was perfect because they took us to this amazing farm right next to Pyongyang, which is where, you know, all the arable land is, uh, <laughs> the exact uh, harvest season, which is the time that they chose to go on the trip. So yeah, surprise, surprise, if you go to the worst parts of the country at the worst season of the year, you would see something completely different, except you can't go to those places. So you just have to extrapolate. But for the most part, the people who go on tour are intelligent and introspective and thoughtful people who are able to see more than just what they see. So they're aware that if you're shown the best, you can extrapolate from that, that the worst is considerably worse. So nobody is fooled and nobody's really, no one is trying to fool anyone completely, but nobody would be fooled by something so uh, brazen so i think a lot of the time people who come back from the tour and like and say well i saw through what they were trying to show me you just think well yeah bravo i mean that just means that you're not you know completely credulous i mean everybody should see through it to a large extent but you should also be nuanced enough to realize that actually what you saw and experienced was completely real it's just not the entirety of reality and neither yeah. should you expect to be able to go to a country for several days and come back having experienced all of it that would be enormously arrogant uh for someone to think they could do so avoid arrogance don't be silly <laughs> and uh you know bring a sense of nuance and a love of ambiguity when you visit north korea
Indeed. That's a that's a really good point, Simon. And I know we don't have much time left, but I do just have one more question for you guys. Uh, so I know Choreo Tours does a lot of cultural engagement that we've kind of talked about so far and also goes a long way in opening out the country to some certain extent. So I was wondering if you could open out or like visit one thing that's currently not open to foreigners, what or where would it be? Well, having been to the Ryu Gyeong Hotel. No, I no. can't believe he, I can't believe he brings that up. Uh, like, I'd like to now. <laughs> on behalf of the people who always ask, so not for me, but for others, that's the place we get asked about the most, I think. And also, it's in Pyongyang, so it's easy to get to. It's right there. You can't, you know, it, it's a real life building. So maybe that, or actually the, the military supplies exhibition. Um, which is on the Sports Street, on the site of a never completed and later demolished baseball field. Um, there's a KPA, a Korean People's Army exhibition, which is an, an amazingly modern museum of of militaria, you know, weaponry, tanks, all kinds of stuff. And also not just from North Korea, but displays about the relative naval powers of various countries. And it's really, really amazing. It's got a little train that goes around like it's Disneyland or something. And it, a load of it is in English. And to my knowledge, two groups of tourists have ever been. Oh, it's got a fantastic shop as well. And I've been there once and it's just so fascinating. And, I, you know, I'm not a, a huge fan of war. What is it good for? Museums. Absolutely. That's, that, is what it's, that is what it's good ah. for. And that is a really good museum. And and anywhere else in the world, this would be an absolute must see. But yet, you know, only a dozen tourists have ever been there. But it's it's right there. It's ready. And I think that would be an absolute simple addition to any tour. Uh, and I would hope that when the country reopens, that that's actually something that uh, will be back on. Excellent, excellent answer. And for those that don't know, the Ryugyong Hotel that Simon mentioned is that big, massive, triangular-shaped hotel that towers above Pyongyang um, that you probably will have seen in pictures. How many stories is it? A hundred and... 105, they say. The floor is the 99th, so you have to you have to work that out. I believe there was a fascinating uh, YouTube uh, broadcast about it by by a young lady called Zoe Discovers quite recently. Oh, nice little plug there. Thank you very much, Simon. Yeah, I do have a, a video on that where I actually interview Simon about his actual visit to the Ryugyong Hotel. So um, yeah, you can check that out. Nick, where would be your place? Um, it would be the the fine fine uh, art uh, um, university. So where where basically all the the artists the top artists go and then after sort of a three year degree or if they go on to post grad they 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 go out to the various studios because um, fascination in socialist realism art it's an academic style of art it's it's art in North Korea is for the party it's not art for art's sake it's a place where Damien Hirst could probably uh, get some good lessons on actually how to paint himself rather than have everybody else do it for him. Uh, yeah, I'm fascinated <laughs> with with North Korean art, and that'll be my 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 place to go. Excellent. How about you, Greg? Where are we going? Mm, maybe the Joshin Reservoir uh, mm. with Americans. Oh, good choice. Okay, uh, can we have some context for this? Yeah, so I, I'm not sure with whom, but I had a conversation about it. One of our customers who came to the South Korean tour who has some uh, experience with North Korea. And uh, he and we constantly, because maybe it was in the war memorial in, in Seoul. And the Choshin Reservoir is where basically the American army was crashed by the Chinese volunteers army and pushed all the way to Hamhung. And they had to evacuate. And a massive amount of Americans died there and it's still their resting place. So uh, for many Americans, it would be very important to visit that place, uh, mainly for the, the family of those who disease there, or those who lived through the hell, and you know, their like those who passed on these stories to their families. So if we are talking about like cultural engagements or engagements between cultures and nations, I think it would be a huge gesture from the DPRK government towards Americans whose family members were involved in this tragedy to be there, pay their respects to their 
family members, memories. Uh, and I think it will be like a very moving experience from both sides. Wow, thanks for that suggestion, Greg. That's it's very it's, interesting. It's, it's actually where um, Jesse Brown, um, the, the black pilot was shot down uh, and it's the, uh, the subject of that film, a rather sort of Hollywood style film, Devotion. But uh, yeah, for the missing in action, uh, the, the bodies of American soldiers uh, still, um, you know, to be returned uh, to the country. So yeah, a very emotional place. Wow, yeah. Great. Well, what a um, what a deep note to kind of um, end this conversation on. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Well, one of the first T-shirts we ever came up with was See you in Pyongyang, which was immediately ripped off because uh, they basically said we can't we can't sell it in Pyongyang. So they then started. <laughs> that was our first experience of uh, being ripped off by North Korea. But uh, yeah, yeah, that somehow became a kind of that became a kind of slogan of the DPRK travel industry. That they um, na they nationalized it. Let's say. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Okay, guys, it has been absolutely beautiful catching up with all of you. We should definitely do this again sometime. Thank you so much for your time, and I guess see you in Pyongyang. Thanks, Good, sorry. Bye, bye bye. Bye everyone. So once again, thank you all out there for tuning into the podcast. Thank you for all your questions that have been coming in. Keep them coming. Uh, ZoeDiscovers at gmail.com, at ZoeDiscoversNK on Instagram. Let me know any of your questions. A massive thank you to the guests that I had on today's podcast. And please remember to tune in next week where we will be covering another one of your questions. Thank you very much and bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.